We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode 12 of Lion Legacy. Here we are. And in past intros, we've spoken about Penn State love stories. And I actually want to give a shout out to one of our mutual friends. It's not a Penn State love story, but it is a future Nittany Lion, Abby Oppenheim, who we went to Penn State with. Had a little girl, Everly. We're extremely excited to meet her hopefully later this summer when we can all get back to traveling and certainly wish Abby and Sean a lot of luck and also a lot of sleep as well. So moving on, though, to today's guest, actually a friend of yours, fellow Lion Ambassador Ross. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Mr. Clifton Tay? Yeah, so I know Clifton from our time in Lion Ambassadors. Uh, Clifton was the two years before me. He was actually uh, on the leadership when I joined in uh, 2002. And so for those that don't know, the Penn State Lion Ambassadors is the student branch of the Alumni Association. It was a group of really driven students who really wanted to connect both the student body and the alumni, further the efforts of the university, put on some great events around Penn State's Founders Day, guarding the Lion Shrine for homecoming, a lot of fun. So shout out to the lambs out there. And so I know Clifton, so we actually hadn't connected in a long time. And Jared, you reached out to him and asked him to come on to the show. And it was really nice to hear his voice and, and see his face as we recorded for the first time in many years. But more importantly, what Clifton's doing today, he's actually in the uh, recruiting world. Uh, he works for a pharmaceutical company called Genentech, which he's going to tell you all about. He's helped recruit internally recruiting talent for some major tech companies, both on the East Coast and the West Coast. He's currently out in San Francisco. Uh, a few of the takeaways from our episode with Clifton. Uh, he tells us about the soft skills that he's looking for in candidates. He tells us how the recruiting world for jobs has changed over the years and also how we're all adapting during the pandemic and the future of work. So with that, we're going to go get the job done. All right. Let's welcome Clifton Tay, 2003 Penn State graduate studying operations and info systems and international business. Clifton certainly took full advantage of the Penn State experience. Parma New Senior Society, Lion's Paw, Lion Ambassadors, and Dance Marathon, to just name a few. Clifton's journey spanned some very notable companies, GE, Facebook, Uber, Zillow, and he now heads up University Talent Acquisition and Strategy at Genentech in San Francisco. And he's also our first West Coast guest. Clifton, welcome to Lion Legacy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Hey, Clifton, it's great to see you after all these years. Clifton and I know each other from our days in Lion Ambassadors. I guess you were uh, a senior when I joined as a sophomore, yep. so we overlapped just a short time. And it's nice to see your face and hear your voice after all these years. Likewise. It's great to see things come off full circle. Absolutely. Just to talk a little bit about your career progression, you started GE in positions that are similar to 
I guess you could say similar to what you studied at Penn State. You were involved with the information management leadership program. Later on, you became a project manager overseeing procurement, deployment, and transition of a new engineering tool at the time. But then somewhere along the way, you pivoted into recruiting and talent position. I always joke that no one majors in recruiting. In college, there's no recruiting major. I fell into it. So, you know, when I started my job at GE, I was in this program and they had a call for people to go back to their schools they graduated from to help recruit. And I was like, who does not want to go back to Penn State? Be on the other side of that career fair booth and be able to like talk about what you're doing now and go out on the company credit card to some of the bars. So I was all about that. We signed up and Penn State had a crazy alumni group as we do in every other kind of situation. GE, it was all a volunteer team uh, made up of alums and various functions at the company. So I started helping out with the information management program. And then after a while, I got tapped to be the campus recruiting leader for Penn State for GE. And then after I came off my program, I hated what I was doing. I realized this is not the long-term fit for me. And then a role opened up in our corporate headquarters, managing uh, recruitment for the program that I was a member of. So I, I applied, got in, moved over to Fairfield, Connecticut, and then the rest is history from there. So in 2008, you, you make some big moves. As you mentioned, you were in Fairfield, Connecticut, but you went to California. I guess they say left coast is the best coast, I guess. Maybe some people would argue against that, but I'm sure you're in the uh, pro of that one. And you transition, right, from one of the oldest companies in America now with GE to one of the newest, hottest ones on the block in, in Facebook, focused on university recruiting. Can you share what it was like to make a move like that, as well as some of the similarities and differences as it relates to recruiting between the, the two companies? Yeah, gosh, it was wild. So I, I left my job at GE. I, I don't know if this is a funny thing or not, but I left after five years because I got my pension. And that was like the big mark. I don't even know if companies give pensions anymore, but that was my like big turning point. I'm like, okay, I can work at other companies because I got my pension. So went out to Facebook and it was wild. I remember wearing a suit to the interview and texting my friend who was also a fraternity brother of mine and a Penn State alum that worked at Facebook. And he said, you better not be wearing a suit. And I was like, oh shoot, I'm, I'm definitely wearing a suit. So I, he said, take off the blazer, rip off the tie and make sure you don't have that before you're going for the interview. So I did that interviewed and I think I was employee like 550 at the time and we were split amongst several different buildings in downtown Palo Alto and Facebook was super small it was a crazy experience I remember one of the the women who I interviewed with she's a good friend to this day she said she sold me partly on the fact that she said, if you come join and work for Facebook you can wear flip-flops to work every day and growing up in Hawaii, that was like the dream to wear like flip-flops to work. So I took the job, moved out to the West Coast, and it was a crazy ride. This the stuff that we were trying to do and trying to figure out what we were doing as a company. I think some of the the, the biggest differences, of course, with GE and Facebook were the size. I went from, a, I think, a 200,000-person company down to a 500-person company. It was like leaving a cruise ship and then going into a speedboat in terms of like processes, the bureaucracy that you had to deal with. I think some of the similarities, though, I think it is the war for talent is the same. You had GE, who was this big 220-year-old company, perceived to be this kind of old, stodgy company, and you had to convince students to come and join, and why was the, what was the value proposition? And on a similar vein, Facebook was the same way. No one wanted to come to work at Facebook because they thought we'd be the next MySpace. Google was breathing down our back at the time about launching different social products, and we Fortunately, no, Google's not really good at social, so they never really launched a, a serious threat to us, but it was like we were 
we were Twitter, when Twitter came out, we thought it was the end of Facebook for a, a while. So it was this war on talent and it's a similar yet different company messaging to to students about why you should work at, at a GE or, or a Facebook. Yeah, could you touch on this a little bit more? Because especially where you are right now in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, right? The 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 competition for talent is so insane. And whether you're Google or Facebook or you're now at Genentech, how do you start to differentiate yourselves from these companies? They may be different in terms of the industries they play or their value propositions to the customers, but a lot of times they're competing, you know, for that same talent pool. Yeah, it's the brand. I think it's all about building a brand and, and where I work in university recruitment, it's building a long-term brand. And I think this is where I think sometimes Penn State, we are at a disadvantage because we don't get a lot of the exposure that say like the Carnegie Mellons do in terms of like software engineering, because, you know, I used to own Carnegie Mellon and it used to pain me that I was three hours from Penn State but I couldn't go to recruit at Penn State because all the students were Carnegie Mellon because that's where, quote unquote, it was a better CS program, a computer science program. And I think I think a little bit of that is, I think it's building a brand and having this familiarity. At, at, when you work, when you go to Penn State, especially in SNEIL, you work, want to work for accounting firms. New York is where they pull you or DC is where they pull you or Philly. And I think for some of the companies, especially in the Bay Area companies, we have to build out these brands, I think. When you come out for talent, especially at a college level, it's what students are familiar with. I had the luxury of working for a brand at Facebook. Students were very familiar with Facebook. GE, maybe people were familiar because they had recruited for years and years at, at Penn State. You go to like Zillow, for example, college students had no clue what Zillow was because they weren't buying homes when they're in college. They maybe had a familiarity with a, a rental site that Zillow ran, but not. Genentech, we have the same problems, right? Genentech's trying to cure, you know, Genentech's the founder of biotech and we are trying to work on really simply how to cure cancer, really hard to cure cancers. And who doesn't want to work for a company that's trying to do that, right? What it, the mission of that company is so altruistic in a lot of ways, but it's all about building this brand and getting students familiar with who you are as a company, what your mission is. And, and a lot of times now too, what good you're doing for society. Absolutely. So yeah, actually, that's a good segue into the next question. So I'm going to uh, bridge together your career journey there. So we talked about uh, your time at GE, we, then you went on to Facebook, then Uber, Zillow, and then now Genentech, just to piece it all together, all very impressive corporations, very well known. Look at, again, the GE being like the oldest one in the on the block. Uber, Zillow, Facebook being like the new guys, right? Like the companies that have been around for less than 20 years. And then Genentech's kind of in the middle there. They're obviously doing a lot of great things in the healthcare and the pharmaceutical world. But what was your reason for jumping over there when you joined them a couple of years back? Yeah, to be transparent, I was not looking for a new job. I was super happy at, at Zillow. This role came up at Genentech and full disclosure, my partner works at Genentech and I got a great idea of what the company was like through him. The more I started to read about it, the more I loved how the company was founded, the mission of the company. And for me, I am very mission driven and mission aligned where I need to, especially in recruitment, I need to believe in what I'm quote unquote selling, right? Because I'm selling careers to students and, and people. So I, for me, I personally need to believe in the mission of what the company is trying to do. And that's one thing that's been really consistent with me with every single company that I've worked at. And so that was what led me to it. The pay was a little bit better. The benefits were slightly better. And that, that didn't hurt as well in the situation. You mentioned what brought you to Genentech and now we're going to flip it around. And that's what you're doing is you're selling the company to college graduates and, and young professionals. We know that they're hard, you're, college students are getting certain technical skills from their courses. They're having su success in the classroom. It's all very important. But 
as a university recruiter, what are some of the soft skills you're looking for? And how do the young professionals differentiate themselves from their peers when they don't necessarily have a ton of experience to fall back on? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I get asked this often. I think outside of like the core like skills that you learn in, in, in the classroom, I think some of the things that I we look for or I look for is students that are entrepreneurial in nature. They're seeking out opportunities. They're not necessarily waiting for opportunities to happen. And I was guilty of this in college. Like my first two years, first freshman, sophomore year, I was like, God, I don't know what I want to do. Summer, I'm going to go home and chill on the beach and go to take weird summer school classes that counted for gen ed classes. So I wanted to do that. But then the more I figured out, I was like, ooh, I need to get an internship. So I think it's looking at things, students that are entrepreneurial, they're seeking out opportunities. I think this is really basic, but a, a firm handshake, knowing your elevator speech of, and then knowing what you want in an internship is really helpful for recruit, recruiters, especially if you're meeting them at a career fair. I think young professionals can differentiate themselves from their peers by taking on additional coursework, taking on additional projects. This is especially true in like the tech space where you know, if everyone takes that same class, I don't know if you, if, if you, any of your SMIL grads, but there was like a accounting, a, a tax class that we took, a CS class that you had to build like a, a tool that calculated your taxes. If every student took that and you put that on your resume, you'd look like every other student that took that. What did you do on top of that actually distinguished yourself from your peers, right? Did you create an app that is on the, the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store? That's the kind of things that I look for in, in candidates when we hire them from schools. Um, what are they doing outside of the classroom to enhance the education that they're getting? Also getting involved in leadership organizations like Lion Ambassadors, Fraternities, Sororities, THON, things like that are super helpful as well. Fantastic. I think that's great advice for any of the students that are, are listening right now. You know, I had a chance to, to visit the Google campus. This was about 10 years ago, and I was blown away with the amenities and benefits. And I know it's very similar to a lot of other companies in the Bay Area, breakfast, lunch and dinner, gym, dry cleaning, daycare. You actually technically don't even need to go home ever, good or bad, yep. maybe. Yeah. The the idea of supporting employees beyond financial means is something I think relatively new. I'm really curious about your perspective on this. Yeah, when I left GE super frugal company, I had to go to the dollar store to buy like my pens and papers and all that stuff. Going to Facebook, I was actually blown away at the amazing benefits that they provided. It was very Google-esque. And Google, I think, set the, the tone for at least the Bay Area. And I think it's rip, rippling through the rest of the U.S. and even globally at this point. To me, it's something that we've become standard to in the Bay Area. I know some of it may not be super familiar, maybe in the East Coast or Midwest, but it is not uncommon. Genentech has shuttles. A lot of companies do provide transportation subsidies. A lot of these things. I think as Gen Z kind of grows out into the workforce, this is going to be part of something that they're going to look at. I do think, though, that in my opinion, where it's going to matter most is this mission alignment or what are they doing for society and how are they benefiting society? I think that's what I've read in a ton of articles about what Gen Z is looking for. The benefits may are still going to be important, but they not may necessarily be super important as we, as the pandemic has demonstrated, remote work is here to stay, right? So the benefits might not necessarily translate all the time with the fancy new gym or the, the fancy cafeteria with sushi and things like that. So I think my perspective on this is that it, it is standard in, in where we operate. I think Gen Z and the new generations that are coming into the workforce are going to push it a little bit more and maybe force us to look at things a little bit differently. I think one thing that I've noticed in the past two years is this big movement and increase on mental health. 
And I think that's something that's super important. And, and I'm happy that we're paying attention to it. Even in companies like Genentech, we provide sessions with a therapist as part of your standard employee package. It's all online. You can access these benefits online and anonymously. So it's, I think it's great, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I will agree with you on that, right? There used to be this kind of thought process that you're weak, right? If you can't handle all the work or if you're not working extra late at night. And yeah. it's nice to see that things have somewhat flipped and more companies are saying and encouraging people to take mental health days or wellness days and are 20%. really concerned around the holistic person, not just the employee who goes to work and, and contributes to their bottom line. Yeah, because I think employers realize that once they do that, it, it, it helps. And in, in, I think the small little things help. We get access to this app called Headspace. And I used to have Headspace before I joined Genentech. And it was like to meditate and to listen to music when you sleep and things like that. And small little things like that, I think, go a long way at just increasing the, the longevity of, a, of an employee at a company, especially in an area where at the Bay Area it, or any competitive labor market where it's people are trying to jump ship and go to other companies. They're going to look for the things that are differentiators. Absolutely. Clifton, want to go a little further in on, on recruiting process and the candidate experience. One thing that, that's certainly come a long way when you look at your early part of your career to now is technology and also the way recruiting practices have changed. Talk to us a little bit about when you had that first role at GE uh, all the way through to, to today. Yeah, that is a great question. And I was thinking about this one. Someone asked me this the other day and I was thinking about this. I think recruitment has evolved. I think there are still, there's still a human aspect to recruitment. And when there's a human aspect to recruitment, I think there's still some things that don't change. I think nothing can replace the benefit of going to a career fair and meeting a recruiter and having a positive, well-intentioned interaction with someone from that company. If you hit it off with that person, that could potentially open a lot more doors for you in the recruitment process. Technology has definitely come a long way. I think we've utilized technology. Everyone talks about using utilizing artificial intelligence to do the helping in the recruitment process. I think there's been some positive news on that. I think there's been some negative news on that as well, because I think there's one case where they used AI and the AI actually learned how to bias the review process based on what humans were doing, which is what they were trying not to do. They're trying to do an unbiased approach to review that, reviewing this process. So I think there's some work still to be done there. I think, you know, it's changed in the sense of we can get to students faster. I will sometimes text students, which I think some students think it's strange. Some people, some of recruiters think it's strange. If I call a student, sometimes students aren't expecting to get a phone call, which is so <laughs> unusual, right? Some students don't even put phone numbers on their resumes at this point, which is another tip, put your phone number on your resume. But no, I think recruitment has gotten faster. I think the war for talent has gotten faster. It's gotten earlier. I think we're use, utilizing different methodologies now to evaluate candidates. I think, especially in the tech space where I used to play in, we would have students do these coding puzzles online. And if they did a coding puzzle, that the signal that that produced advanced you to different parts of the recruitment process faster, rather than maybe going the traditional route of dropping your resume on the website or your school's website and then waiting for that response. So I think it has changed some of the process, but I do think recruitment is going to be still human focused. It's human centric. So there's going to be parts that we're still going to have to interact face to face, hopefully. But I do think technology has made it faster and has made it easier sometimes to get access to companies as well as to get involved into the process. It's also interesting to see the cultural assessments that are taking place, that not mm -hmm. just the hard skills, but how well do you fit by answering these questions into the overall company culture? Yep, 
All right. So we're going to shift again to the hot topic that we hit on every one of our episodes, and that's the pandemic. We read that you did something very creative uh, and innovative with last year's internship group with the Genentech House Cup. Give us a high-level overview of what that is and how it came about. Yeah, so that the House Cup was an idea that we we created as part of every kind of internship program, any internship program that's well-received. The community is a huge part of, of that program, right? We split the interns into four different houses, very Harry Potter-esque. We created names for these houses based on the four elements because we were in, this, in, in, in science and biotech. We created this like fake magical story of the four houses warring together, but then uniting to realize that they can do more together. We invited our interns onto this Zoom call. We had someone narrate with music. My team, we had we were house leads for each of the houses, and each house had its own color and persona and all this kind of stuff. We actually sent ahead of time envelopes to each of the interns that said, do not open until instructed to do so. We introduced a story, and then we asked them to go open up their envelopes. And then they opened up the envelope and found out what house they got sorted into. So they got this whole big kind of story and then from there, we gave them a, a set of mini challenges and challenges to complete, and they won points for their house. And so things were like, hey, do a TikTok dance video, or go participate in a pride event, or go name your name your house, or or create a a some something along the lines of being a social aspect to it. They self organized on their own, uh, which is the goal to give them the initiative to do that, and then also to mingle informally because who wants to have recruiters in every single call watching or see what's going on. That's awesome. Good and good for you. I mean, I, I I certainly haven't heard of anything like that. You're in the industry, maybe other companies are going to poach the idea, but congratulations to you guys for putting together such a thank, forward thank thinking program there. And so thank I'm curious you. now, what's the plan for summer 2021? Is this going to, is it going to be House Cup 2.0 or something a little different? Yeah, we're doing a House Cup 2.0. It's a good event. It, I think students enjoyed it. But yeah, we're going to be remote again this summer. We're hoping that'll carry us through and, and along with the other programming that we have planned. And then when you look at this return to work, this is another hot topic right now, what that looks like, especially if your job doesn't require you to be in an office setting or in a lab. I hear some companies are looking to downsize their spaces and save capital. You hear about some that have said, I think a few in the Bay Area have actually said, we're going mm -hmm. fully remote. You can work from anywhere. Others are saying, hey, maybe the face-to-face -face interaction's good. Let's do two to three days a week. This obviously impacts recruiting talent as well. You're closer to these conversations than certainly we are. What are you thinking? What are you hearing from the industry as well? It's an interesting question because we hear about a lot of companies that are moving to fully remote. Genentech, we've been a remote remote company in the first place. So we'll have some return to campus. I do think remote work is here to stay, which I think is great because I think it opens up access to people who maybe couldn't relocate to, to locations because of cost. We all know the Bay Area is very, very expensive. And I think it, we sometimes lose out on talent because they don't want to relocate because they have family or other things keeping them in other areas. Um, so I think you'll see this great kind of leveling that'll happen. I think in terms of like other things that I'm hearing, Gen Z, I think will change the way the work as the, as the boomers retire. I think Gen Z will drastically change the workplace. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Gen C. I just heard about Gen C being coined a couple this week, actually, the coronavirus or COVID-19 generation. I've read a lot of articles that have mentioned this move to remote work is going to be a great leveler in, in creating access to opportunities. 
But it's also going to be interesting because recent college grads, for example, want to go into the office, at least for the first year, to get established with the work routine, the culture, meet their colleagues, which is interesting because I would think it's the opposite. I think everyone wants to just jump to virtual and then work where they want to work. And you have this, this notion of digital nomads, you know, traveling all over the place, working from Thailand or Puerto Rico. But then after that first year in kind of settling in, I think you'll see distributed workforces will be here to stay. I question though, the move of a hundred percent remote workforce. I know like firms like Dropbox in the Bay area have moved to hundred percent remote where they're actually like dumping all their office spaces. I, I think the jury's still out on that whole move. I think going hundred percent remote might not be the best thing, but we'll see. We're going to see that in a couple months of what that, what happens there. I'm actually a fan of going in like two to three days a week. I like being with coworkers. I feel more connected to the company. I think the in-person relationships allow you to potentially do your job better. I know that's just me. I don't know what you feel, Ross, on that one, but I'm a guy that likes face-to-face, at least at, at some point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I was one where I, I have never had a anything more than just a when you need to be remote, you can be remote type of situation. And so I actually had a tough time transitioning to the 100% working from home during the pandemic. And now I'm used to it here, you know, a year later, but I definitely miss out on that bond and that you have with colleagues when you see them and those chance encounters, right? Walking down the hallway. Oh, I forgot to tell you this rather than just everything being over email and, and, teams or zoom or whatever you use so i I definitely like the the balance of both yeah i i I 100 agree the the minute i can go to campus i will be in my car driving to campus because i think there's nothing i I think it's just a change of scenery i don't know zoom fatigue is 100 real i cannot tell you how many times it's just like zoom after zoom meeting that we have but it's interesting yeah we'll see what happens i think in a couple months I would like to go to the office, though, in in shorts. I don't know. Maybe some offices (laughs) like Facebook allow it. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Come to the Bay. I I, I feel like every every firm out here, except for maybe finance, you can wear like a t-shirt and jeans and and sneaks to work. That's right down your alley, Jared. That is. That's perfect. (laughs) So we have a good amount of, of Penn State students that listen to this podcast, not just alums. Curious, and you've touched upon it a little bit before in some of your earlier answers, but What's your message? You know, is there anything in addition to students these days right now that are graduating or maybe going to take that internship in how to best position themselves for success coming out of college, but also anything that you've learned as well from the career journey? Yeah, I think the one thing I tell students is to just leverage your network and leverage your informal network, leverage your professional network, just leverage your network. I got my job through Facebook through a client I was supporting at GE, whose cousin was Dustin Moskovitz, who was a number two guy at Facebook. And my resume got sent that way. Also, my referral got sent through my fraternity brother, who was working at the help desk at Facebook. My job at Zillow was through a referral of a previous manager I worked with at Facebook. And then Genentech was through a referral through my partner. And, And I think that's the one thing where students don't necessarily realize this, but leverage your network, leverage the Penn State network, and always don't be afraid to reach out and and make that cold call. And, and ask. You never know until you ask someone what they can do for you. I'm more than willing. If they can't, they'll say no, but more than willing, sometimes they'll say yes. And that could open up a door. And all you need is that, that door to open it just a little bit for you to, to get in, in there and, and show your skill set to, 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 your, to the company. I do want to mention too, this also applies for students that are seeking in, or that are already in internships also. Go and leverage. When you have 
an internship at a company, that's unfettered access to anyone in the company, right? I don't know other companies, but like you could email the CEO if you wanted to. Just make sure it's not a career limiting move. Spot on. Great advice there. So you mentioned the Penn State Network. We're actually now going to turn the tables and talk a little bit about your Penn State experience in the Lions then. You alluded to it earlier. You grew up in Hawaii, which is, uh, I don't know how many thousands of miles away from uh, University Park. So tell us about what made you come all the way to the middle of Pennsylvania. So I actually applied to a bunch of schools and I, I actually heard of Penn State because I was a big volleyball fan, tried to play volleyball in high school, you know, in Hawaii, volleyball is a big sport. We don't have professional football in Hawaii. In 1994, Penn State beat the Penn State men's team, beat the University of Hawaii to become the first men's volleyball team east of the Mississippi to win a national championship. And ever since then, I was like, okay, Penn State seems like a good school. And then I found out they had a good business program. And then I wanted the quintessential college experience. And the more I read about what Penn State was, it was in a small college town. Football was a thing. I had no idea, by the way, who Joe Paterno was or Penn State football was such a big deal. I applied because of the volleyball team and the business program. And I didn't even know there were like other campuses outside of University Park at that point. So I applied on a whim. And the first time I saw campus was the first time I landed here to move into my dorm from Hawaii. Wow. And then you got to a, to a winter and you were like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, winter was interesting. I love I, I liked it. I would say after 10, 15 years, I was done and ready to move to the West Coast, but it was I was awesome. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big volleyball fan as as well. I enjoyed my time going to those games. So that's uh fantastic. So you've obviously had such an impressive career. How has Penn State prepared you for that career and all of your professional endeavors? I told this to students on my tour too. Penn State's a huge school, 42,000 students. I think maybe even bigger at this point, I don't know. But it's taught me to be resilient and seek out opportunities. I think Penn State has every single opportunity you can imagine under the sun. It's also a big campus, but the minute you take some time to get involved or meet people, it becomes super, super small. I started the Hawaii Club at Penn State for students from the state of Hawaii or get involved in Lion Ambassadors or, or Greek life. It made the campus super small. And, and I don't regret that experience at all because I loved having that big, big school feel and then also that small school feel as well. Yeah, a lot of other guests have spoken about how do you navigate between the big school and then the small school and kind of creating those really close-knit environments. Tough question, especially since you've done a lot at Penn State. Favorite Penn State memory? I have a favorite. I, if, if I can have two favorite memories, I'll do my first favorite memory, I think, is just studying on campus when it's snowing out. And I think when it's late at night, I think I always love looking at Old Main from the lawn. I think there's nothing that beats like being late at night, no one's really around, hearing the snow actually fall, hit the ground on Old Main lawn, and then staring up and hearing the chimes. To me, that was like this magical, like quintessential college. And that's one of my favorite memories. I think. If I can have a favorite other memory, it would be when Joe Paterno won his 324th victory to beat Bear Bryant for the record. Right, and Cliff, the next one. So we know each other from Lion Ambassadors, as I mentioned at the beginning, which for the non-Penn State listeners out there is the student branch of the Alumni Association. And uh, just an excellent organization. I really enjoyed it. I know you did too. So give us a little bit of your favorite Lion Ambassador memory now. I don't know if it's a favorite memory, but my, it's the most prevalent memory was guard the lion shrine. When we guard the, the lion shrine during homecoming, there was like different events and there was like this sumo wrestling costume. 
I don't know, you wrestled each other in these big, ridiculous suits. Sure. I was wrestling the president, Ross, you know, Scott Johnson at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, something happened then my knee, I think hyperflexed my knee and uh, tore my oh, meniscus. No. Oh, no. <laughs> so I literally just went down and everyone j- jumped on top of me and I was like, I am hurt. Get off me. I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> Paul Sharkey took me to the hospital and I had a, a cast on for, for a couple weeks after that. But that was, uh, I think, the most vivid memory of Lion Ambassadors, I think, uh, out of all of them. I still tell that story to this day. Well, I, I actually, I, now that you're saying that, I remembered, obviously, I wasn't there for that one. But yeah, that that brings it was in a line dance. I think it was in a line dance song. Oh, it had to have been. Year, I busted my knee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so next, if you could visit with the 18-year-old version of yourself as a freshman, right? You're landing in State College Airport for the first time from Hawaii. You start your freshman year. What advice would you have given yourself? Seriously, I would say don't be scared of trying new things. I think my freshman year, I got a little bit nervous about doing certain things. I'd say don't be afraid of doing new things. And Unofficially, I would say eat all the chicken cosmos you can from <laughs> Redifer. I just in South Halls. I don't know if anyone knows what a chicken cosmo is. Ross or Jared, you remember what that was? Yeah, we are? had them. We had them in East Halls also. Yeah, in East at the Big yeah. Onion. I think had them. Yeah, but yeah, eat all the chicken cosmos because those things are amazing, and I don't think they make them anymore. <laughs> I'm impressed that you came up with the Big Onion. Man, that's that is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Speaking uh, along the advice lines, now let's say. You go back to Hawaii and someone says, hey, I'm considering college. Why Penn State? I honestly think it's one of the best, I think, values for your education that you can get out there today. I think from a personal side, the school will teach you how to be independent. It'll teach you how to cope with varying situations in your life. I think it'll teach you to be resilient uh, because you'll deal, like I said, with that big school atmosphere. Um, so it'll teach you how to, to find your pockets of people that you can, can can bond with and can be friends with. And I think it, it to me, it is was like the, the Norman Rockwell paintings, right? It, it is the quintessential college experience where you get a plethora of activities to do in, in an environment that's focused on the school. And who doesn't want to be a part of a, a bigger movement? Like we talk about students that look for companies and have a value proposition and all that. I think Penn State's value proposition is just join this larger family of people that you can connect with and you have immediate bonds with. Whenever you meet a Penn Stater, you can relate on something with them. And it's this magic that you light up and you talk to people about. I think that's why you should go there. I think on a more serious professional side, I think Penn State was just ranked by recruiters as like one of the the best schools to recruit talent from. And I think that's a testimony to what the school teaches you in terms of how it preps its students to deal with adversity and how to handle themselves in a situation. Amazing. This has been a, a great conversation for us. Loved hearing your journey, of course. And and it's it's quite honestly, it's easy to see why you're in the position that you are today and why companies <laughs> want the future talent first to interact with someone like yourself. I think you represent companies really well. You're a genuine person. You Thank have you. the best interest of, of, of students and the talent. And as you mentioned, you're very mission-oriented and that shows – through and through with your passion. And we certainly wish you a lot of success in, in the future. Hopefully Ross and I get over to the West Coast um, sometime soon and we can meet in person or even better, maybe we'll go to Hawaii and, and meet up with you there. <laughs> Anytime you're in the area, let me know. There's wine country even nearby. There's lots of good food, lots of good beer. Sounds Thanks good to again. me. Definitely. And we always end with, we are Penn State. <laughs> 
Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.